I think this song amplifies, though, for us, this tension that we all face. Do I stand up and speak up, or do I shut up? And the reality is a lot of times we just kind of resolve to just, you know, not say anything at all, not stir up the, the waters at all, you know, and just kind of, kind of lay low. And unfortunately, we do this in the church. And the church has had this... Um, They've kind of been known more for what they're against, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we'd rather kind of point the finger at, at the government and at, you know, organizations outside the church or, or people outside the church than really look to the change that needs to happen inside the church. Here's what I want to say. I think the change that we so desperately need begins with the people in the church house and has more to do with the people in the church house and less to do with the people in the White House. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think the change starts with us, starts with looking in our, our own hearts because a lot of times we want to engage in these, these critical kinds of conversations, but we hang back. And I don't think as uh, followers of Jesus, we should go out and point the finger and tell the world how to live when we're not living the way that we're telling the world they need to live. So today we're going to talk about this tension that we all face, should I, should I speak up or should I shut up? Should I, should I engage in this conversation or should I not say anything at all? And to set this up, I want to kick it off with two lies that permeate the church culture. Uh, maybe you've heard these before. One of the lies that we believe is that my sin is my sin and it only affects me. Have you ever heard that? Like, this is my deal. Don't, don't worry about my deal. Don't focus on my deal. My sin is my sin. It doesn't impact you, has nothing to do with you. It's only my deal. And the reality is, we all know that's not really true. Because a lot of times our sin, not only does it impact others, it generally impacts the people that we're closest to first. And it has a, a great effect on our families. It has a great effect on our relationships. I'll put it this way. Um, this is kind of gross, but this is just how my mind works. I'm sorry. I apologize up front. I don't know if you've ever been swimming in a public pool when all of a sudden, like, a, a baby Ruth starts floating by. And by baby Ruth, I don't mean baby Ruth, all right? You know what I'm saying? Just kind of floating by. And what happens when that, when that baby Ruth comes by is they, they shut down the pool. Like, they pull everyone out of the pool. That, that, Sin didn't just impact the person releasing the baby Ruth, all right? It impacted everyone in the pool. And the same is true with the sin in our lives. If it goes un unaddressed, right, our sin has the ability to shut down the work of God in our hearts, the work of God in our lives. If it goes un unaddressed, if it goes un untalked about, un 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 kind of worked through, in fact, uh, parents, we did child dedications today, and those parents stood up here saying, hey, we're going to commit to raising our little ones, you know, to a different standard to what God's word says. Well, parents, you should know that your sin impacts your generations to come, your children as well, right? It has the ability to shut down, you know, your, your family. And so that's one of the lies that we believe. It's just my sin, and you don't have to deal with it. It's my, my, my deal, and it doesn't impact you. Another lie we believe is that you have no right to talk about my sin. This is a lie. And this comes across in the form of, hey, you know, don't talk about my sin. You focus on your sin. Don't focus on my sin. In fact, what we often say is, hey, let's focus on other people's sin. That way we can feel better about our sin, right? And you don't even have to deal with and address 
my sin. And the most common phrase that's used when you confront someone who is spiraling out of control in a pattern of sin, the most common phrase I hear is don't judge me. You ever heard that before? Don't judge me. Don't judge my sin. Don't judge what I'm doing. Coley, the Bible says, don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. And anytime someone says that to me, I'm like, all right, where does it say that? Well, uh, I don't know. Well, just give me Old Testament or New Testament. Uh, see, there's a problem. We all know what the Bible says, but none of us know where the Bible actually says it, right? And people will push back and say, don't judge. The Bible says don't judge. Now, the Bible does say don't judge, but that's not the complete sentence. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Here's why we're going over this content today. I believe as Christ followers, we are called to confront. I believe in love that we are called to confront brothers and sisters who are in Christ. We are called to have those difficult conversations, to have those heart-to-heart conversations with people that are traveling down destructive paths. And we've all seen it before. And the reality is sometimes, you know, when we should say something that actually says something, that actually speaks to whatever it is they're facing, instead we say nothing at all. You know, because otherwise you're going to know what I'm going through. You're going to know what I'm dealing with. And historically, the church has been, been either deflecting and yelling at the wrong people for the wrong thing. Like, we'd rather yell at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians, which is crazy. We'd rather yell at organizations that that aren't Christian organizations, you know, for, for acting that way than to hold Christ followers accountable for the right things and tell them, hey, if Jesus lives inside of you, you need to start acting like Jesus lives inside of you. Now, this is going to be a little edgy, all right? This is going to have maybe a little bit of a sting to it today, but I want you to receive it in the heart that, that, that it was meant to be uh, sent out because that's not the goal. It's the goal is to really convict all of us when we engage in these hard conversations or why we don't. Instead of pulling, pulling away from, from God, instead of pulling away from others, in fact, you know you're to have a critical conversation with someone when you see that person start to pull away uh, from the church. Because the first step in pulling away from God is pulling away from the people of God. It happens all the time, and you'll go to that person and say, hey, hey, but why would you give up on the church? Why would you give up on your small group? Why would you give up you know, on that? And they're, they're oftentimes the response is, because I don't need that. I don't need the church. I don't need that kind of thing in my life, which let's think about that for just one second. Like, if we don't need the church, then why did Jesus have to give his life for it? Like, the Bible says that Christ died for the church. The Bible says that Jesus is the head over the church. And when we say the church isn't important, that it doesn't matter if I go or not, we are telling a holy God that what his son did did not matter. I think that we got to be careful doing that saying that the church isn't important, that I don't have to go. Because I believe it's important. If it was important to God, if Jesus is the head of it, it should be important to us. So how we address people inside the body of Christ, how we address other Christ followers. Now, here's what this message is not meant to do. And my voice might crack. I think I'm going through puberty, just so you guys know. What it's not meant to do is um, now make you think that you're all now the sin police. That, oh... You mean I get to point out what everyone's doing? That I am now deputized as a sin popo? That's not what this message is for, okay? That's not it at all. 
Because I know some of you are like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment, Colby, because I got some people that I've been needing to talk to, and now you're giving me, you know, like the right to do it. That's not, we're going to talk in depth about that, so don't go there. Um, And this is also not your opportunity to spread all the gossip that you know or bring it to the church leadership. Oh, well, I know that so-and-so is doing this, so I'm going to call the church. Or I know that so-and-so is out drinking or out sleeping around or whatever. No, this does not absolve you of your responsibility to confront them. That what this is for is for you and I to, to step into that tension of whether to say something that says something or not say anything at all, to step into that, that awkwardness. And I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and to step into sometimes what's a messy situation and to confront people in love and accepting and stepping up to the responsibility we have as Christ followers to hold other Christ followers accountable and for us to stop yelling and pointing the finger at the wrong thing or the wrong people or the wrong organization and truly begin to hold the right people accountable. Colby, why would we even talk about this? Why would we do this? Because Jesus lived this way. Jesus was the absolute standard, gold standard for how we address confrontation. I mean, he was the epitome of grace and truth. The woman caught in adultery, he said, hey, who condemns you? She looked up, no one. He said, I don't condemn you either, but it didn't stop there. He didn't just say, I I don't condemn you either. See you later. He said, now don't do it again. And a lot of times we're afraid to address another brother or sister in Christ who is headed down a path for fear or for what, whatever reason. And I think if we will live this way, uh, then the world would be drawn to that kind of authenticity. The world would be drawn to that kind of grace and truth, and the world would be different because of it. Do you agree with that? No, you don't. Okay, well, <laughs> we're going to talk about it anyway, all right? So I'm calling this message. If you take notes in church, you can jot this down. Say something that says something, all right? Say something that actually says something or an alternate title to this message. If you like alternate titles would be um, mirrors and telescopes. Jot that down. Or an alternate, alternate title would be um, planks, puppies, piggies, and pearls. All right, we're gonna talk about all of those as well. So here we go, three steps uh, into stepping into this tension, saying something that actually says something, or to not say anything at all. Here's the first thing that we need to do if we're gonna engage in that heart-to-heart conversation. One is interpret your motives. See, before you go and step into a conversation, have a heart-to-heart, you better make sure it's coming from a place of a pure heart. You better make sure that it's coming from a place of not, of not bitterness, right? It's coming from a place of wanting to make them, them better before you go and have a heart-to-heart conversation with someone that's needed, who's living life in a way that's spiraling out of control or living life headed down a, a destructive path. We need to first interpret our motives. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Starting in verse 1, Jesus said, do not judge. Aha! There it is, Colby. I told you the Bible said it. Now I know where it says do not judge. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge. That's great, but what is that punctuation that comes after judge? Come on, what is that? It's a comma. Like I failed English on I know twice in college, but I'm glad you're hooked on phonics because you know 
That's not a period. You know that's not an exclamation point, which means that's not the end of the sentence, right? That's an incomplete sentence, so it doesn't stop there. Do not judge, do not judge. No, what Jesus said was do not judge or else you too will be judged. And he says, um, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and the measure that you use will be measured against you, will be measured towards you. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, be careful in confrontation. And you should know that if you're going to step into that, um, the measure that you use to judge others is going to be measured to you. In other words, the grace that you do or do not demonstrate in that confrontation will or will not be demonstrated towards you. That love that you do or do not demonstrate, that mercy that you do or do not demonstrate, that forgiveness that you do or do not demonstrate is will or will not be demonstrated toward you. But I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say don't do it. And I think this is where we wrestle with this issue. Well, you know, I don't want to step into that because, you know, I don't want to judge. Jesus never says don't judge don't confront. We are called to confront people in love. In fact, time and time again throughout the Bible, you see people confronting other brothers, other sisters in Christ, right, in love. Matthew 18 tells us how to do it, gives us the, the formula for doing it. I encourage you to jot that down and go back and read it. But it says, hey, first of all, go to that person by yourself, some of you need to hear that, by yourself. It doesn't mean go talk about them to someone else. It doesn't mean go have these backroom conversations about it. It says, hey, if God has put this on your heart for you to confront this person in love, go to them by yourself first. And then if that doesn't work, Matthew 18 tells us, then you gotta take someone else with you and confront them, knowing that, that, that it's out of love that you're doing. If that still doesn't work, then you bring it before the church leadership. He lays out this formula for how we are to confront. In Galatians chapter two, Paul writes, hey, I had a problem with Peter. And you know how we fixed it? I talked to him about it. I actually went to him and I got in his face. Paul did this with the brother of Jesus, James. He said, James, you are out of line. And so Paul goes and gets in his face and talks it out, all through scripture, we see confrontation is not the problem. It's the way that we do or do not do it in love. And as Christ followers, we're not called to judge, but we are called to confront and do it in a way that, that, that it comes from a, a pure heart. It comes from uh, pure motivations. Colby, how do I know if my heart's pure? How do I know if my motivations are good? Well, you ask yourself four questions. The first is this, am I trying to catch them? Because I know a lot of people that just want to catch somebody sinning. You ever know that person? Got to catch them. And nine times out of ten, the reason why they want to catch someone else in sin is because they're trying to hide their own sin in their life. And they feel like, hey, if I can maximize and amplify the sin in your life, then it could minimize the sin that's actually in my life. And it doesn't work that way. Again, Jesus is... You know, he doesn't pull any punches. Matthew 23, he calls those people hypocrites. You should go through that, that chapter as well. So am I trying to catch them? The second question you need to ask yourself is am I trying to control them? Is the reason I'm trying to confront because I want to manipulate and determine the outcome of this? You know, am I trying to do it not because I love them or because I want them to become come better, because I want to see a certain outcome happen? Am I doing it because I want to control them 
Or here's the third question, am I confronting them because I want to crush them? I know some people that would tell you they love Jesus, but they also love to crush people, all right? It's like they, they, they enjoy it. And confrontation shouldn't be something that you enjoy, right? And that's coming from a, a not, not a great motivation. Are you trying to, to crush them? Or here's the right way, am I trying to cover them? Because that's really the goal. Just like Jesus did with us when he shed his blood for us on the cross, he's covering our sins. Wasn't trying to crush us, wasn't trying to control us. That's never been what he had in mind, but it was to cover us, just like God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, he, he provided coverings for them. So is that your motivation? If it is, then it's coming from a, a pure heart. And when we see sin in a brother or sister's life, it shouldn't bring joy to your heart. It should break your heart. And instead of gossiping about them or calling the church office on them, we should be broken for them and love them enough to sit down and have that heart-to-heart conversation with them. And we should do it not because it makes us feel better, not because we are self-righteous, but we should do it because we sincerely care about them and know that if they continue on that path, it's going to lead to a a destructive place in their, their life. And by the way, in the process of confronting them, we need to be careful not to make our standards their standards. I'm not talking about biblical standards. I'm saying we have done, uh, I think the church has done a really bad job at pushing um, individual standards on people kind of like, hey, hey, you're not as good as me because you go to R-rated movies and I don't. Or you're not as good as me because you read out of the, the NIV and we all know the King James is the only real version of the Bible, right? Like we do a real good job at putting our standards on people, and that was never the goal. The, the intention of the cross was never for us to climb up on it, use it as a pedestal, and look down at people and tell them what they're doing wrong. That's never been the intention of the cross, right? And, and, and we should never think that because the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, you know what it is? It's Jesus. That's it. It's the only difference. I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by grace, right? Through, through faith in Christ our Lord. So that's really the only difference. And so we should never, as a church, take the position of, hey, I'm going to look down on the world and tell the world what they're doing wrong. I'm going to use the cross to climb up on and to tell what everyone else is doing wrong. Instead, we should all be kneeling at the cross, telling the world that there's room here for them too, right? There's room here for you. And we're going to be a church that doesn't climb up on the cross and tell the world that that they're going to hell in a handbasket. We're going to be a church that kneels at the cross and tells the world that there's room here too. I told you I'm going to lose my voice today yelling at you like this. Man, I'm committed to doing that. That's, you want to say something that says something? Don't point out the faults in people. Tell them the solution to the faults that we have in our nature. Which is Jesus, when he died on the cross for us, there's room at the cross for all of us, for all of us. All right, here's, here's the second thing we need to do. Interpret our motives, and then we need to investigate our heart. Investigate your heart. Uh, how many of you know that if you will pay uh, extra careful attention to, to things sometimes, it can keep you from a lot of pain? Um, for example, say, if you really paid attention pulling that turkey out of the oven on Thursday, right? You could have avoided, you know, hitting the sides of the oven with your hands or, or getting burned a little bit, keep you from a little bit of pain when you pay close attention 
to things. There's a time in, in Florida when I was working at SeaWorld, I was kind of hosing off, I think, one of the decks of the pool, and this little lizard ran by, not a big deal. There's lizards all over in Florida, and he just kind of ran by, and he ran behind me, and then I didn't see him anymore, and I just went on my business, you know, just kind of cleaning up, hosing some things down, and at the time, I was wearing those, those baggy jeans. You remember baggy jeans? Carpenter pants. Had a little belt loop thing right here for my hammer that I was supposed to put in there. I never put a hammer in that junk or whatever that was. But they were baggy. And so I kind of looked around for this lizard. I didn't really pay that much attention. And then I'm going about my business. But what had happened was this lizard went up my pant leg. And apparently... He had just kind of crawled up the inside of the, the jeans, and so he wasn't touching my leg until he decided to jump from one side of my jeans to my leg up around my nether regions, and I just freaked out. And there was this lizard like crawling around in my pants, and I was just ripping them off. I was screaming. I was squealing. Like it was, it was nuts, right? What I didn't do in that moment was say, hey, you know, I know I have a lizard in my pants. That sounds really weird now that I say it out loud. I have a rep. No, I can't say reptile either. That's just even. Man, when it goes, it just goes, right? It just burns. What I didn't do was point out that someone else had a fly on their shirt while I had, you know, this thing. I can't say anything about that. Colby, why are you even talking about that? Because of something that Jesus said. Because as Christians, when we go to confront someone in love, we can't do it ignorantly. We need to know what's going on in our own lives. We need to know what's happening uh, in our own hearts. This is what Jesus said in verse three. Uh, I think God has a sense of humor. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the big old plank in your eye? Like you can't even see it and it's right there. This is huge, verse four. How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that out. Let's deal with that thing. Let's deal with that little speck that you're dealing with while at the, the same time there's a plank in your own eye and then Jesus goes off, you hypocrites. You hypocrites, which by the way, anytime you ask someone why they don't come to church, uh, their response is always the same. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. And my, my response back is, yeah, and there's always room for one more. So come on, right? <laughs> you're right. We are, we're all sinners. None of us have figured it out. None of us have gotten it right. And so, yeah, so come on. And Jesus says, you hypocrite, um, you're so obsessed with the sin in other people's lives. You're so obsessed with, what, with what's going on in their life that you can't even see the sin that's in your life. First, take the plank out of your own eye. In other words, you better make sure you know who you are. You better do some examination of your own life, and then you will see clearly, watch this, to remove it. He doesn't say leave it. He doesn't say never address it. Never address the fact that they are in a, an adulterous relationship. Never address the fact that, that they're, they're headed down an addictive lifestyle with drugs or alcohol. He says don't, he never says don't deal with it. Don't deal with the speck. And let them go on and maybe one day they'll realize it's there. Maybe one day they'll, they'll be irritated enough to get it looked at. Jesus never says that. But he says that speck is important. That speck needs to be dealt with. It needs to be removed. But only after you deal with what's in your life. You deal with the plank that's in your eye. See, I think the problem that, that we have in the church from time to time 
is we got a whole bunch of people with planks running around trying to remove specks. And that's not what God's word says. We need to investigate our heart. What's going on in my own life? In fact, you know, every time I give a message, I'll, I'll do that too. I'm not just going to preach to you about something that, that, that I don't deal with. And the, the Bible says that the word of God is, is like, a, like a mirror, that we're to read it. And it's to reflect back to the kind of life that we're actually living, that the standard that we have is Jesus, and that we all fall short of that standard, but that as we read God's word, like we read it, and then it reads us. And it tells us the things that we have to change in our life. So preparing for this message, I'm like, all right, I got to find me some planks. And you know how every time we're going to talk about something or give a message on something, God will allow you to deal with some stuff. And just, a, just a, a week and a half ago or so, I was in a, a hotel down in Florida visiting another church down there. And I was going upstairs and with the, the hotel manager and a maintenance guy was with me. And so that, that was great that they were there because when I arrived on my floor, this guy comes out of his room and says, hey, is that your room? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I'm just getting here right now. He's like, what the... F and just started swearing me up and down and why are you making all this noise? I'm like, hold up. I just got here. Like I, I haven't even been here. I'm just getting here right now and I'm not even kidding. I've never had this happen. Just swearing me up and down. Come to find out, you know, he was battling some PTSD. He'd been in that hotel for a while, but I got like, like a little angry and I started to yell back. I'm like, you better back off. You better apologize, right? I'm getting mad at this guy, I'm getting all like swole up, ready to go. <laughs> you know what God said to me? Hey, that's pride. Colby, that's pride. That's a plank in your life for you to respond that way. Or how about just a, a, a couple days ago on, on Black Friday, I was driving to the mall, which by the way, avoid the mall on Black Friday. <laughs> for the love, do yourself a favor, right? I'm coming down the main entrance of the mall in the Dream Center truck, all right? Just keep that in mind of the church. Coming down the main road, and you know how when you come in the main road, all those intersections like down by, by Dick's and down by all that kind of stuff, people treat those as four-way stops. They're not four-way stops, all right, by the way? But people that don't know, they'll just kind of pull out and they'll stop, and then they'll go waiting for you to stop as you're coming in. And this lady, this older lady, I'm not gonna say how old she was, um, I think she was around in Moses' time. She was, she was up there. Probably his mama is what I'm guessing. She pulls right out in front of me. Like literally, and I have to lay on the horn and on the brakes, and I'm just honking at her. I'm like, what's your problem? And my father-in-law is sitting in the seat next to me. And he's giving her the bird out the window. No, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. Don't say that, all right? Dean would never, never do that in his life. God spoke to me in that. He said, hey, way to go, pastor. That's what he loves to do. Way to show her the love of God in the Dream Center truck. It's a plank. And we all have them. You have planks. We all have blind spots in our life that we either refuse to deal with or we're ignorant of. 
Even just a, a few weeks before that, I came home on a, on a Monday, and I was just tired. Meetings all day long, and First Opinions chapter 8 says, thou shalt sit on thy couch when I get, get home. And so that's what I did. And my wonderful wife asked me a question. She said, Colby, will you please take out the trash? And I said, you take out the trash. Actually, I didn't say that out loud. I said that in my head. Because I'm not that stupid, all right? But again, God spoke to me, hey, that's, that's selfishness. What, what's yours? Comparison? We love Facebook. Love us some Instagram. Maybe it's a plank. You're comparing yourself to other people. Maybe it's lust. You know, the church, again, historically has done a great job at pointing the finger at, at the homosexual community while we're sitting here in adulterous relationships or sexual immorality or, or having premarital sex, hey, it's a plank. And we're trying to remove the specks from people's lives. And the word of God says, hey, you better read your Bible as a mirror, reflecting back to you what you are really like and showing you the things that you need to change in your life. However, the reality is many of us read God's word like it's a telescope. And we want to kind of read it through the lens of what everybody else is doing wrong. Oh, yeah. I see you down there. Oh, there's the Browns at home again on a Sunday morning skipping church. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably going to hell. Oh, who's over here? Oh, we got Stacy back here. Oh, there she is at the sandbar on Thirsty Thursday hanging out. And a lot of times we'll point out the specks in other people's lives instead of dealing with the planks in our own. And God says, don't do that. If you're going to engage in a conversation that actually says something, which that's really the heart of this, for us to do that, then you better make sure, you better investigate your heart. Because when I investigate my heart, when you investigate your heart, It's not to beat you up and to show you how bad you are. It's to remind you of the goodness of God in your life. It's to remind you of the grace that you and I receive so that when we confront other people, like we can extend the same grace that God has given us. It's not to remind you of the past. It's not to remind you of all the ways that we fall short. It's to remind you that without Jesus' death on the cross, all of us would be caught up in our sin. But for God so loved the world, right, he sent Jesus. And so now my goal is to extend that same grace, that same love to other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so grateful for the people that have done that in my life, that have had the, the, the guts to approach me in love and say, hey, Colby, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. But I see this and this and this, and I think we should work through this. Aren't you grateful for those people? And by the way, just a side note, not everybody has your best interest in mind. You can't listen to everybody who's got a word for you or has something to say to you, right? But you can trust the people who you know love God, love Jesus, and love you. The people that you know have a growing, thriving relationship with God, you you see the fruits of the, the Spirit displayed in their life. Those people, you owe it to them to listen to them about your speck in your life. And the opposite is true. If you see someone in your life that you love and care about that's headed down a destructive path, you owe it to them to actually say something that says something, to have a tough conversation. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Write it down and I'm done. We have to investigate our heart, and then we have to ignore the pigs and the dogs. 
the piggies and the doggies. It's hard. It's hard to ignore some things sometimes, isn't it? My boys, I'm always, always breaking up fights. And I think that's just, that's what we did growing up. But they're little, they're just kind of always fighting, just kind of always picking on each other. And they'll say, hey, dad, so-and-so is doing this or so-and-so is doing this. And my response is just ignore it. And that never works, by the way. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. They're like, you, you would try to ignore it. You couldn't ignore it. And I agree, it's hard to ignore some things at times. I was on, on a flight a couple years ago, and I was sitting in the middle seat. And the middle seat's the worst seat, by the way. Sitting in the middle seat, which I don't, I don't know what you think is, is uh, airplane seat etiquette. But my thought is that if you get the middle seat, then you should have both armrests. Okay? Right. Because the guy on the aisle, he's got room to lean that way. And the guy on the, the window, he can lean towards the window, right? But the middle, if you're stuck in the middle, you should get both. I was stuck in the middle. And this guy sits down next to me, and my arms were already um, secure to the middle, you know, to the armrest. And he proceeded to like, this was super weird, super awkward, sort of push my arm like off. Not saying a word. Just kind of sitting there, just like pushing my arm. I'm like, you ain't pushing my arm. You know, I started pushing, and I started praying some things like, God, I don't know what to do. Like, you're going to have to kill this guy. You're going to have to do something. Don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Don't judge me. Come on, some of you wives pray that same prayer. God, if, you know, if he keeps snoring, I'm going to take him out. And it was, it got really weird. And it was just really hard to ignore. It's one of those things. I think we fought the whole flight. I don't know. It was just weird. And so this is why I love, I love that, that God puts this kind of stuff in his word. This is what Jesus said. He said, um, don't give to dogs what is sacred. So glad he said this. But when we see the word dogs, a lot of us think, you know, oh, you know, it's a cute little puppy. He's a big sweetie, you know, whatever. That's not what dogs were. Dogs were not domesticated. Dogs were not pets. Dogs would attack you. Dogs hung out at the garbage dump, you know, around Jerusalem. And if you went and tossed something in there and they decided to turn and attack you, they would. So even if you were tossing them a scrap, as soon as they were done with it, they would turn and attack you. Jesus says, watch out. Don't throw, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Jesus is talking about two different kinds of people. The dog that would turn and attack and the pig that was known to be unclean. Pigs were unclean animals. And so Jesus is saying, don't go out pointing your finger at those that are going to turn and attack you, those that don't even care, and those that really don't even know. Like, don't go out and point your finger at non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. It's, it's in their nature, right, of that unclean thing to be unclean. They just haven't gotten it yet. And until they realize what Jesus has done for them and that his blood on the cross makes them clean, so some of you, listen, you've been coming to church and maybe you've heard time and time again what Jesus has done for you, but you've never surrendered your life to follow him. You've never received the sacrifice that takes us from being unclean to clean. Colby, why are you calling me unclean? Listen, I'm not yelling at you for that. I was you. That's my story. That's many of our stories. And we couldn't clean ourselves up. We couldn't get to God on our own. We had to realize that, that God through Jesus came to us and that his sacrifice on the cross, his blood covers us. See, here's a really cool connection. Jesus didn't come to, to catch you. 
He didn't come to control you. He didn't come to, to crush you. He came to cover you. And that's what his blood does. And even though I'm a sinner, the Bible says that while we were still sinning, Christ died so he could cover me. And so his blood covers me. And then when God looks at me, all he sees is his perfect sacrifice, Jesus. And so it all points to Jesus. And at the end of the day, if we want to engage in conversations that actually say something that means something, the way not to do it is to point your finger at those who are living outside of that, those organizations. The way to do it is to elevate the name of Jesus and to point everybody to him. Because he's the only one that can change our hearts. He's the only one that can make us clean. He's the only one as we investigate our hearts and pull those planks out of our eyes that allows us to gauge in meaningful relationships with others that we are there to help along the journey. Not to avoid, not to not say anything at all, but to say something that actually says something. Let's do this. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? We all have planks. I was real transparent about mine. Pride, anger, maybe selfishness. What are your planks? See, before we can go address those people in our lives that we love, that we care for, that we desperately want to see them uh, not head to destruction in their life, we have to first investigate our hearts. And Jesus said, before you go to them, you gotta remove your plank, but then remove the speck. So for some of you, this is a word of encouragement for you to engage in that conversation, for you to actually say something that says something, for you to stop that brother, that sister, that husband, that wife, that mother, that daughter from headed down that path that you know they're headed to, but first, but first check your heart and make sure your motives are pure. Make sure you're doing it uh, out of love and that what they're doing is breaking your heart and because you know it's breaking the heart of Jesus. While we're praying for those of you that walked through these doors and you were like me, hearing the good news, hearing the pearls of the gospel over and over and over, what God did for you through Jesus, but you kind of trampled them under your feet and you still you know, kind of uh, went back to the mud and got dirty. Maybe today is the day you allow Jesus to sacrifice to make you clean. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That we are created anew in Christ Jesus. And that you realize today it's nothing that you could do to get there, but it's all because what he's done. And his blood was to cover us on the cross, to cover our sin, past, present, and future. Not so we would carry it any longer, but so that it would be covered. And so if today you understand that Jesus died for your sin and he doesn't want you to carry that around and, and you were that unclean thing because our sin separates us from God, but today you realize that Jesus' sacrifice brings us to him and you say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I can't do it. I can't earn it. I need that grace that covers me. And so when you pray, because I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that, that invites Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Colby, when you do that, I'm gonna do it with you. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, but I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus. I want his blood to cleanse me through and through. If that's you, would you throw up your hand? No one's looking around. Just right now in an act of surrender, say, Jesus, I need your blood to make me 
hold to save me, to cover me, to forgive me. I surrender my life to you. Praise God for all of you in this room. Put your hand down, say something like this. Jesus, today, forgive me of my sin. I'm not doing this on my own anymore. I'm not gonna try to clean myself up, but your blood covers me. And so today I trust that your sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay for my sin, past, present, and future, no matter how I feel. Your word says that if I call on the name of the Lord, I will be saved. So Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Tell him that again, I confess you as Lord. And from this moment on, I'm gonna follow you. I believe God raised you from the dead. And so right now I'm being raised to new life in Christ Jesus, amen. Come on church, celebrate big. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Praise God for you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.